Warm Weather Fans is brought to you by Zencaster. As you can hear at the beginning of each episode, we use Zencaster to record and host all of our podcast episodes, and the platform is incredibly easy and user-friendly. Users can record up to 4K video quality and high-quality audio with just the click of a button, as you can hear from our episodes. Zencaster's post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It automatically removes any feedback in your recording and gives each user their own dedicated audio stream. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with just the click of a button. So now go to Zencaster.com pricing and use my promo code WARM and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and recording needs. It's time to share your story with Zencaster. Welcome everybody into another episode of Warm Weather Fans, the Sunbelt Podcast. Uh, my name is Brian Stone. Uh, I cover Georgia Southern for UnderdogDynasty.com. Joined this week by Georgia State writer Zeke Palermo and former Louisiana writer Matt Miguez for the site. Want to start off with Zeke. Zeke, how you doing? I'm all right, man. Uh, we are finally in real, real football season, right? Because it's not just the college football. Obviously, we're here to talk college football. But now that we've got Saturdays and Sundays, it's Thursday through Monday filled with football. Um, this is my favorite time of the year. I know I've been saying that every episode, but but it really is true. And um, I'm excited to talk about the, the games that we saw this past weekend, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, Matt, how's it going? And also, you brought the event that we should compare – our our life experiences to Zeke's meager amount of life experiences on this episode. So, Matt, how you doing? And if you want to sort of roll it out, we could go from there. Boys, I'm absolutely fantastic. Um, so, Mr. Palermo, um, in your lifetime, there have now been three popes. Okay. Which, which, by the way, for, for, for those that would like the explanation, the pope is the leader of the Catholic Church. Uh, worldwide um so <laughs> we're on the third pope can you name any of the three yes okay go, go ahead let, let me, francis let me sure. is the incumbent okay who seceded pope benedict uh-huh. who if memory serves resigned right correct that was the, he was and they don't resign it's like the supreme court they they go to death who Pope Benedict came after, I have no freaking clue. Okay, so <laughs> you, you already answered my question, but what can you tell me about the death of Pope John Paul II? Um, it was probably pretty sad. Um, I I know that you know I, <laughs> the process to select a new pope I know is quite rigorous. They have the white smoke when they're ready. Um but in terms of the actual death, I don't recall much. I remember when Benedict died, but that was like last year, maybe two years ago. Um, but I'll be frank, I'm not certain I knew there was ever a Pope John Paul. So Pope John Paul II died on April 2nd of, 20, of 2005. Okay. So you were like three and a half? Yeah, we were, we were hitting three and a half, uh, 2005... So this man was watching Teletubbies and Care Bears. 
Um, I, you know, we were more of a Wiggles household, uh, as evidenced by my trip to Australia. Much better. Um, but yeah, and uh, I at this point, I had my my sister was born, so there were probably a lot of Care Bears going on as well. Oh, I love it! All right, let's get, let's get to football now. That was fun. <laughs> All right, so let's kick it off. Uh, I'm just going to run these games down as they're presented to me on ESPN.com. Uh, the order, I've said this before, doesn't really make any sense. There's no rhyme or reason to how they display these games when you just pull at the scores page. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna go through one really quickly that honestly doesn't dis- deserve all of that much discussion. Florida State absolutely blew Southern Miss out of the water, sixty six to thirteen. Florida State is the fourth best team in the country as we or as it sits. So not a huge surprise that it was so lopsided. Um. I asked Matt and Zeke before the podcast if they had anything to add on this game, and neither of them really said that they had wanted to had anything to chip in. I think the one thing that really surprises me is the amount of work or lack thereof that Frank Gore Jr. has gotten so far this season. Um, through two games, he has 17 total carries for 60 yards and one touchdown. He's averaging three and a half yards a carry. Um, in this one, Rodriguez Clark got 15 touches um you know he he's he played pretty well but it's just weird to shelve what has over the last couple years been your most dynamic playmaker so i i don't know maybe this is some like 4d chess move that they're that they're working on and saving him for sunbelt games but again not a lot to talk about in this one florida state just kind of ran rough shot over him billy wiles didn't look great in his, you know, second start wearing a, a Southern Miss uniform. So there was that. Uh in this one, Florida State moved to two and oh. Southern Miss dropped to one and one. Let's get into the games that were at least semi competitive enough to have a have a discussion or even a take on. Uh Troy ac- absolutely got shellacked by Kansas State in Manhattan 42 to 13. Um Man, I, I'll tell you what, Matt, I want to start off with you since you're the, the representative that talks about the West. When is it time, and maybe maybe the answer is when Sunbelt games officially kick off, Is it when is it time to sort of hit the panic button on Troy because they've had an underwhelming performance against a, a lower-tier opponent in Week 1, and I, I know Kansas State's ranked, but they were absolutely awful in this game. Yeah, Troy did not... Um... Troy did not play well uh, in, in this game. They didn't play well in the first game either, like you mentioned. I don't know that it's necessarily time to hit the panic button because, again, week one was underwhelming, no question. But we are talking about a Kansas State team that played in the Sugar Bowl last year and took Alabama to the wire um, and returned their quarterback from that game. So this isn't like a massively rebuilding Kansas State team. So I, I figured that Kansas State would be the overwhelming favorite. But I did think that Detroit would maybe put up a little bit more of a fight, maybe a 42-21 to 21 game, you know, something like that. But I, I don't know that I would look too much into this if you're a Troy fan. Now, if you get into, you know, you got James Madison this weekend, um, which, which that could be a game that, that tells you a lot. Uh, but look, if you get to week five and you're two and three, 
then I would maybe hit the panic button. Um, but but right now, I, I think it's just a, a little too early. So, Zeke, do you agree with, with Matt on that, that there's not a lot to be sort of gleaned from these two games, even though they've not really played up to the, you know, overall standard that we sort of expect from Troy coming from what happened last year when they won the conference? Yeah, I mean, no one ever wants to be the guy to overreact to these very early games, and uh, I think Matt did a really good job of just saying, like, it's all right. This this Kansas State team was very good last year, especially late in the season, and, and you know, they're still ranked 15 in the night country, right? This isn't scrub Kansas State from, you know, bum wherever Kansas. This is, this is a legitimate football team that we expected to give Troy a very difficult game. Uh, I, I am con- certainly concerned. Uh, I think starting the second half with four consecutive three and outs is, is uh, reason to be very worried about the offense. And then, I mean, again, we Kansas State's a good football team, but this defense doesn't look like it is as good as it was last season. So I'm certainly concerned that there is a chance uh, that there will be a lot of regression. And I know that's multiple layers deep. So, oh, I'm concerned that there might maybe be something wrong here, but I think preseason we were all pretty high on this team, or at least confident that this team could go out and win another eight, nine games. But uh, I'm less confident now, so just because I've not not seen anything to really love. Yeah, I mean, Gunnar Watson has not played overly well in these previous two games. Like, like I understand they played Kansas State, and Kansas State's a, a top 15 team in the country. But you know he's compl- he completed about half of his passes didn't crack 170 yards passing uh and then defensively Zeke kind of what you were talking about uh they get shredded by Will Howard for 250 yards three touchdowns they do pick him off the one time but this is this is just one that they were just simply you know outclassed and you know maybe maybe when Sunbelt play starts this coming Saturday um you know maybe we see kind of a more complete team but Again, not not having been overly impressed with the the two performances they've had overall, but with that, Kansas State moves to two and zero, and Troy drops to one one this season. Um, getting into this next game here, fantastic game. I I caught uh, a lot of the end of this just because uh, honestly, Georgia Southern was at half like when this game was really coming down to the wire, so. Uh, North Carolina barely edges out App State. They go to overtime for the second straight season in the in the meeting between these two teams. Um, it literally takes a a fourth down stop in double overtime, which I, I know a lot of uh, App State fans would complain and say that there was a, a pass interference on the play, but it wasn't ultimately called, and that was that was that. Um, I think what I've I've honestly been most impressed with is, you know, Ryan Berger, the guy that we assumed was going to be the starting quarterback coming in, hurts his hand. Uh, The last update I read, he's going to be out for a couple weeks. It seems like this is Joey Aguilar's job to lose because he's played really well the last two weeks. Um, So, you know, they have their quarterback at least, you know, through the first two games of the season. But Zeke. You know, obviously they came close to once again beating North Carolina. What what was it that impressed you most about the way that App played in this one? 
I think as a program, the thing that impresses me most about App State is that they can still manage to schedule games against these really good opponents. Because, I mean, going back to even, like, uh, Sean, uh, Sean Clark took over in 2019. Uh, as early as 2020, 2021, they, they were playing very close games, if not upsetting ranked teams. And so I don't know when, you know, the uh, it must have been a home-and-home home here against UNC or some sort, but I don't know when we're going to start seeing teams wisen up and realize you don't want to play App State because they're always going to be in that conversation to upset you. Um, the, but realistically talking about actual football, what I've loved most is Nate Noel. Uh, he's been a really good back for them the past couple of years. And, and now without Chase Bryce uh, leading the offense, there's been a big weight on his shoulders in that you are our guy on offense. You know, say what you want about Berger or Aguilar. Uh, you're the veteran. You're the guy that's been around, and you are our offense right now. And he stepped up in this game. He rushed for almost 200 yards – or, I'm sorry, 120 yards. The week before, I believe he led the conference in rushing yards. So this is a guy that, uh, after being really good the past couple seasons, ha- has taken a meteoric jump into – what by the end of the year we may be talking about a guy that is top five in the country in rushing yards, and that's what I like most about this team. Matt, one thing I wanted to ask you: uh, Drake May is projected by a lot of draft pundits to to be the, potentially the second or third pick in the draft, depending on you know, I guess by default who picks after the Cardinals and what they decide to do. Um, but if a team that's quarterback needy is there you know, they're going to go the Drake May route to help sort of solve their their quarterback issues. What is it? What do you think it says about App, the fact that they've played Drake May the last two years this close and taken him to overtime both years? Uh, I think it means that they're very well disciplined um, and very defensive sound football team. Um, you know, that they've always done a nice job of, you know, even with a bigger opponent like North Carolina or even with Texas A&M last season. Keep games close. Let let the let the defense or the defense keep the game close to give your offense an opportunity to make something happen. And more times than not, it's worked out for App State. I mean, you look at the two times that they played North Carolina last year was sixty three sixty one. I mean, look, that was a barn burner. I, I can't really say that the defense played well if you gave up sixty three points, but you gave your offense the chance. This year, kind of the same thing. You gave up, what was it, 42 points? But you kept your offense in the game. You gave them the opportunity to do what they needed to do to win. Uh, So I think that that's really important. And and I just want to say this uh, about Drake May, because over the summer I had the opportunity to sit down with him at the Manning Passing Academy. One One of the greatest kids I've ever had the opportunity to interview. The guy is so well spoken speaks highly of his teammates, speaks highly of his coaching staff, and you can tell on the field he makes the right decisions. He doesn't force the football. He's going to make an NFL franchise, whoever drafts him, very happy for a very long time uh, whenever it's his time to get to the NFL. Yeah, um, I, I, I do agree with that. I think I think this year, I mean, especially draft-wise, is really loaded with quarterbacks, and it's not one of those years where it's like, it's Caleb Williams and everybody else and everybody else else is going to have to just take a flyer on someone and hope it works out uh, sort of the way that the Trevor Lawrence draft has sort of panned out. Um, but just going through this game, I mean, so many close calls, 
there were a lot of opportunities for app to sort of pull away, but UNC stayed right there with them. Um, like I said, I, Joey Aguilar, I think it's I, honestly, I think it's, I hate to say it cause I, I, I don't root for people to get injured, but I think when you look back on the way that this season's going to go, if, if Aguilar stays healthy, I think it's going to sort of be a blessing for, uh, that app that he stepped in because we talked about in the preseason how little experience Berger had, and he was not good with the the reps that he got in game one. And then Aguilar comes in, and I think he threw, like, what, four touchdowns coming in in relief or something like that? So, I mean, he's sort of taken over the ship for this team. So I think that's going to end up, like I said, being a real benefit for them. I know – I understand the the difference in talent levels and all of that sort of stuff – if I'm an app fan, I might be a little concerned about the run defense after this one. I mean, I know Omari on Hampton for the Tar Heels is good, but he ran for 234 and three touchdowns. That might be something to consider, especially like when you get to play these teams that are a lot more run heavy, like a Marshall or, or one of those types of teams. So we'll have to see how that all pans out. But another good effort for app, I mean, to to keep it close and go to go to overtime once again with a with a ranked team. So uh North Carolina moves to 2 and 0 in this one App State drops to 1 and 1. Getting into this next game here, this is sort of the exact reverse of it where James Madison was favored by almost a touchdown uh on the road against Virginia and Virginia honestly surprised me because I didn't expect a lot out of them at all. They've been a an atrocious football team the last couple of years, uh, but they kept it within one point and uh, and it was a a Jordan McLeod pass to Kalon Black with under a minute to go that eventually allowed James Madison to pull it out. So Matt, I'm going to throw it to you. What what do you take away from from this win for James Madison? Considering, like I said, they were favored by almost a touchdown, and they eventually pulled one out. But are you, do you just sort of chalk this one up in the in the win column and just try to move on as quickly as possible? So yes and no, because if you're James Madison, yes, you were favored and you were supposed to win the game, right? But Virginia is also a it's still a Power Five win. So it's still something that, like, you know, you, you have to look at it as a Sunbelt team who, by the way, isn't even eligible for their conference championship game um, to be proud of. Uh, but, like you mentioned, they were favored. They were supposed to win this game. You had to hold on to win in the end. So you can be happy about it, but at the same time, you're like, okay, well, yeah, we've got a Power 5 win, but there's still a lot that we need to improve on. There's a lot of things we didn't do well. So I think you have to look at it both ways. Um, but look, Saturday proved to me that James Madison is for real. Uh, they're going to be a serious force in the Sunbelt East and for, for a long time. Kirk Signetti is a great coach. He recruits well. He's got a good staff under him. Um, and it's a shame that they're not eligible for, for the conference championship game because I think that's just ridiculous. Yeah, I I mean we've talked about how, how stupid it is the the conference championship game rule. Um Zeke, I, I want to ask you 
do you think that James Madison, this is sort of a similar talking point as at, but Jordan McLeod's basically played two weeks now. I mean, Alonzo Barnett played some in week one. I remember statistically, I think he was like three for 12 or something on his attempts before they eventually replaced him. Do you think that they've found their quarterback for this year, barring injury in McLeod, uh, now uh, moving now forward? forward. Uh, I think you have to ride with him until he proves you otherwise. Uh, he has uh, McLeod has not been fantastic. He, he's thrown sixty four percent for eight and a half, which is by no means bad, and it'll get the job done. But if you compare it to what they had last year with Todd Santeo, and you were hoping to get any semblance of a like for like replacement, it's not going to be McLeod. But I, I think he's in a situation where. There's no reason not to play him. As you mentioned, Alonzo Barnett in his one shot did not look good. And, and I don't think there's anyone else on this roster that can play as good as McLeod is playing. So I don't think he's the long-term solution or, or that he is going to you know, ride into the sunset of James Mad- Madison history like Senteo May uh, in their first FBS season. But there's no reason to bench a guy that's getting you wins and performing well enough to do so. No, I mean, I agree with that. I, I, I do think that their supporting cast is good enough where they don't necessarily need a Todd Santeo. Like, obviously, the, he elevated them a lot last year, right? Like, there were there were entire games where they could sort of put the game on his shoulders and sort of ask him to go out and win them one. I, I don't know that you can do that with McLeod, but it doesn't seem like he's going to... Th- cost you anything like he's it doesn't seem like he's going to cost you games it seems like he might be able to it might like game manage you towards some wins so i mean you know uh, we'll see how that all pans out but you know who knows um they they did give up a lot through the air i will say james madison did with calandria from uh virginia from virginia through for 377 uh, and almost, I mean, he was 20 of 26, so it was high efficiency doing it, too. Um, and then Malik Washington for Virginia was good as well with 119 yards and a score. I'm going to be honest, like, there's not, no, nobody really, like, really stood out uh, offensively for James Madison. Everybody was pretty good, but it wasn't like, oh, man, you've got to watch you got to watch this one guy or whatnot. And Matt, I know we were talking about before the season started, the all-name team, the player who scored the first touchdown for James Madison, Phoenix Sproles. That's an all-name team. Guy. So that one that one is solid. I've got another one for you. Um, so one of my lovely assignments of Louisiana Sports Radio is um, I get to cover high school football here in Louisiana. There is a quarterback in the area. His name is Diesel Solari. Diesel Solari. And by the way, kid's an animal. I mean, with the first na- with a name like Diesel, how can you be bad? But I mean, the kid's fantastic. I, I was about to say you can't your first name can't be Diesel and you end up built like, you know. Deuce Vaughn like you can't be a five a five six hundred and ten pound football player and be like my first name is Diesel <laughs> so he's he's probably five nine 
180, 190. So pretty, I mean, not like a bowling ball, but kick and run. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. Um, I will say going through the game log, one person that does did really stand out in this one was Tyson Lawton, uh, the running back for James Madison. Actually, t- to have 79 yards on just eight carries and your longest runs only 27 yards and you score twice is pretty impressive uh especially that level of efficiency so you know we talked about it a little bit good win for james madison good to pick up a a road win against a power five opponent you know however it comes whether whether uh the fans of that power five opponent consider their coach a football terrorist the way that virginia does with uh tony elliott which is something that i have read online so I did not I did not put those words into their mouth. I read that somewhere. So Yikes. going into this Yeah, so going into this one, I, I had I had projected James Madison to win by more. Honestly, I was surprised by how Virginia close Virginia kept it. But with that, anyway, James Madison moves to two and oh. Virginia will drop to 0 and two. Getting into this next game here, you want to talk about incremental improvement taking baby steps to get better texas state takes on utsa and their great quarterback frank harris they keep it within a touchdown which honestly impressed the heck out of me because i i really had reservations about whether they were going to be able to do that yet but matt as our as our west representative i want to ask you again it, it are we looking at a potential future where texas state is a for real football team that that other teams need to worry about at this stage. I mean, we we had we had them beat Baylor in week 1. They did this against UTSA on the road in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome in week 2. Is it, are they becoming maybe a spoilerish team for other teams in the Sun Belt? This may be jumping the gun, but they might already be there. I mean, GJ Kinney did some incredible things in Incarnate Word. He comes to Texas State, recruits well, Brings in two SEC quarterbacks, who, by the way, T.J. Finley has looked revitalized in the Bobcats offense. Uh, You've got good receivers. You've got a good running back. You've got good defense. Um, You're in the Sun Belt West, which, outside of Troy and South Alabama, pretty weak. Um, So there's no reason to believe that you can't be, you know, third or fourth in that division, which I think with what Texas State has had in recent years, that would be a great first year under G.J. Kinney, because that puts you in the conversation in this conference. Um, so, now, am I saying that Texas State's going to light the world on fire and be 9-3 and three this year? No. Um, but do I think they could be that team that, if you have them on the schedule in Week 8, Week 9, you should probably circle it now and be like, this team's going to give us fits? Absolutely. When, when you said T.J. Finley looks revitalized, I'm like, Oh, he wasn't good for a, a program that all the boosters hated the head coach and all the fans hated the head coach and everybody couldn't wait to get him out of there at Auburn. Like that's or that's so or or under Ed Ogeron at LSU. Don't forget that either. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> you want to talk about another one where it it went south very quickly. Go <laughs> uh, Tigers. So <laughs> so Zeke, um, I, I talked about. UTSA's quarterback, Frank Harris, he was fantastic last year. Um, 
What do you think it says about Texas State on the defensive side of the ball that they were able to keep him? I mean, he threw for 214 in a touchdown. He was he was lighting it up last year. And for a team from where Texas State has started to where they sort of are now through two games, what do you think that says about where they sort of stand um, as a team? And, and where do you think that defensively they can sort of go? I really don't know what to say other than what you alluded to when you intro this is just incremental improvement, right? Uh, beating, losing by seven to UTSA is not a result that's going to blow anybody's socks off. Obviously, the Baylor result last week, um, we can still maybe, uh, you know, read into. But uh, as Matt said earlier, you know, we don't want to overreact. I think the biggest thing is that it's incremental improvement because last year, the year prior, or any time under Jake Spavadol. Uh, Texas State would not have even been considered in this type of matchup. It is the historical context of this result. So to to look at a result to an unranked UTSA team uh, and to lose by seven and be like, this is pretty freaking good. It, it means that Texas State is on the up and up and that um, Kenny might be the guy that could bring long-term success to this program. Uh, it, it's not super nuanced. It's not something you guys haven't already said because I, I think it's pretty cut and dry with this team. No, I I mean I agree with that. I'm just I'm I am just more impressed uh, about where they stand today versus what they sort of were left with when Spavadol departed and sort of left GJ Kinney with not a lot uh talent-wise and and we've talked about sort of the burnt bridges that Spavadol had made with the uh the 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 high school coaches in Texas. So, you know, you don't you don't love moral victories, but again, considering where they came from to where they are now, you'll you'll take a seven point loss on the road against a, a really good team and a really with a really good quarterback. So Texas State in this one drops to one and one. UTSA improves to one and one. Uh, let's get into this next one. Marshall absolutely runs roughshod over East Carolina. Uh Matt, when Zeke and I were talking about this game last week, trying to preview it, I I fully set up front and said, I know absolutely nothing about East Carolina. I know last year they were pretty good. They scored a ton of points, but they don't have that big left-handed quarterback uh, Ehlers anymore. So I was like, not expecting a lot out of them. And they proved me right. I shouldn't have expected a lot out of them because Rasheen Ali absolutely ran all over them. Um, had... 85 yards and three touchdowns on 18 carries. Zeke, I want to start with you here since we're talking about an East team. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about another team that started really slowly in week one and we were, like, not overly impressed with the way that they played. How much do you think this this helps from a uh, confidence-building standpoint? I... As an outsider looking in, in all honesty, not a ton. And that's primarily because I didn't see a ton outside of the score. Uh, what is there a ton to look at this team from their performance against East Carolina and be like, this this is our thing moving forward. This is our identity or this is something that we are really proud of. I didn't think Cam Fancher, who I was very high on leading into this season, I didn't think he played particularly well. Uh, Rasheen Ali, uh, uh, he had three touchdowns, but he had 85 yards 
and 56 of those came off of one carry. So they didn't run the ball well. Uh, their defense was pretty good, but I, I, they were expected to win this game pretty handedly, I believe. So so to keep East Carolina 213 is not uh, a shell shocker for me or does not move the needle much for me. So they managed to find 31 points in this game, but I don't think the offense played particularly well. And the defense was good, but didn't wow me either. So I, I'm feeling a lot more bullish on Marshall than I did after last week, even though they won. I think you mean bearish, not bullish. Bullish is if you were up on them. Um, <laughs> so, Matt, I I sort of disagree with Zeke for a couple of reasons. Number one, we knew that the, the quarterback position was a work in progress, right? Like, Cam Fancher is not Todd Centeno. He's not, you know, one of the one of the Georgia Southern quarterbacks, you know, I... I, I don't have a lot to sort of hang my hat on as a Georgia Southern fan, but the quarterback play over the last two years has been really solid. So he's not been one of those guys. Defensively, they held East Carolina to 123 yards on 13 of 31 passing between two guys and forced two turnovers. They were a little soft against the run with, with that Garcia quarterback from East Carolina. But Matt, as far as like a defensive perspective goes, what do you think that they sort of figured out in this one and maybe that they could apply that moving forward uh, against future opponents? You know, I, I think the thing that Marshall figured out was that they have a pretty good defense, um, which I, I know that sounds like a silly answer, but that was a concern for them going into 2023. You know, how good was their defense going to be? Um, and I think that they figured out on Saturday, granted, say what you want about East Carolina, but holding a American opponent to only 13 points and beating them by three scores, I think any Sunbelt team would take that as a win. Um, and so I think they realized that, you know, you lose guys like Abraham Boplan and Eli Neal, but you still have Owen Porter, you know, at, at that edge rusher spot, you still have a good defense and one that can keep you in games on nights that your offense, like a Cam Fancher, like we talked about, a, a guy that isn't always world shattering, right? Um, you know, a, a guy that's going to struggle at times. You know, you still have a defense that can keep you in games if you need it. Uh, so I think that that's a huge confidence boost for Marshall as they get into their Sunbelt schedule, because we've talked a lot on this podcast about how dominant the East is. I mean, James Madison, App, Coastal, Marshall, um, the Georgia schools are, are, are decent this year. There's a lot of competition in, in the Sun Belt East. So I think Marshall got a big confidence boost on Saturday knowing that their defense can compete with just about anybody. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, another thing that I think that's that's pretty positive for them is the fact that you know, they were actually down 13 to 10 in this game heading into the fourth quarter. And the fact that they were able to score three times to make it, to put it out of reach the way that they did, I think has to be huge for them. So credit to them for that. Um, you know, we'll see if they can sort of carry over the, that, that momentum that they got late into uh, future matchups. But Marshall moves to 2-0 in this one. Uh, East Carolina drops to 0-2 with the loss. Um, next game here, uh, not a lot to say here. Uh, honestly, you know, 
South Alabama just kind of overwhelms Southeast Louisiana. Um, kind of a rebound game after, honestly, a pretty rough loss to Tulane in week one for South Alabama. Um, so just sort of a tune-up game, you know, like I said, not a lot to be taken away. It's It's got to just feel good sort of picking up your first win of the season. Um, I'm not sure if you guys even have anything sort of to kick in, but um, either way, uh, South Alabama moves to one and one uh, with this one, and Southeast Louisiana drops to 0-2 uh, with this. The next game here was the game that I was uh, obviously most locked in on, uh, which was Georgia Southern uh, defeating Trent Dilfer's squad, UAB, uh, 49-35. Honestly, I thought the final score was sort of not indicative of how lopsided this game was. It, it, It was sort of like outside of one really strong quarter by UAB in the second, they didn't really come to play, you know, it, they made a lot of really stupid mistakes. Um, there was one where they had a chance in the fourth quarter to sort of make it a game and they went for it on a fourth, fourth and three from their own 34, I think. And their quarterback, Jacob Zeno, just turned around and flat dropped the ball on a pitch play and it was a turnover on downs and then the game was essentially over from there. So it was just kind of a comedy of errors for UAB. Ironically, I think if they don't implement this new air raid offense instead of what they did last year with the ground and pound kind of uh, single back stuff, I think they might beat Georgia Southern, but they've moved to this. We throw the ball every single down thing and Georgia Southern practices against it every week. And they see it all the time with Sunbelt schools. So I don't think they were all that surprised. Um, do either, either of you have anything you want to kick in? here in this one a question or whatnot well i would i would love to know a little bit more about what you saw out of uab considering that's who the the cajuns are playing this week well i mean like i said they they throw the ball almost every down like i don't know if it's if it's that they can't run the football or if they choose not to but either way it's not it's not great like the results aren't aren't really there and last year they were a very much a line up uh, under center and run the football type of team. And now with, I mean, they're essentially like a, a less successful clone of Georgia Southern. Like they, they throw the ball all the time, you know, uh, defensively, they kind of got shred. They got shredded by Davis Brin who threw for three eighteen and two scores. Georgia Southern secondary got shredded, but a lot of that was in like garbage time when they absolutely, we're just kind of playing prevent against UAB. So uh, again, th- this one was not as close as it seemed. It was just, they had a really strong second quarter UAB did. And if not for that, then Georgia Southern would have run away with it even more. And it would have been over by, you know, the third quarter. But the fact that they really stuck it out in the second and made it more of a game than it probably should have been. And then I got a question for you, Brian. Uh, I, I want your take on Davis Brin, uh, especially because, Last year, we saw Ventrese fit so easily into this offense, and it felt like there was no transitional period. He just came in and played really well. And now we're seeing the same thing with Davis Brin. Uh, he, he gets the reins, and this is his offense, and he's throwing for 300 yards. Uh, you know, he, he, it's like you're watching a really good work week of Derek Carr, you know? Uh, and so 
I want your take on Davis Brin. Is is he that guy? Is this just a system thing? Because now we've seen two quarterbacks waltz into this team and take over the offense. So how good is Davis Brin? Is he as good as his stats indicate? And, and how much is this just a really quarterback friendly offense? I do think it is a really quarterback friendly offense. I think Brian Ellis, the offensive coordinator, and um, Clay Helton do a good job of getting quarterbacks acclimated into the offense. So I think they make it really easy with, I mean, I, I get the feeling from watching them that a lot of it is like sort of first read and go type stuff, like with receiving receivers. Um, I think Bryn is a slight step down from what I've seen from Kyle Van Trees from last year. Um, Van Trees was like a very dynamic guy who was, always sort of looking to push the ball down the field and Bryn sort of gets a little too locked in. Like if it's not there for him, like he wants to hit basically the, the designed receiver every time. And so I have a little bit of concern as we sort of move into Sunbelt play as to whether that's going to come back to haunt them, because there's a little bit more inconsistency than I've seen that I saw out of Van Trees last year versus Bryn. So we'll have to see if that sort of rears its ugly head. I think another thing is that they need to start doing is running the football more, just more attempts. Like the last two weeks, they've done it really well, but they they just don't. I don't, I don't really understand it. It's like, it's like there was a clause when they got these transfers that was like, you will throw for 300 a game, we promise. And like, that's basically it. Like Jalen White is, is really dynamic. OJ Arnold is really dynamic. And for some reason, they're just like, you get eight carries a piece and that's what you're allotted for a game, even if it's really working. I'm sorry. Could, could this, uh, you mentioned the lack of running game. Could that be a, a result of having two pretty good running backs and not having one guy that stands out above the rest? Because it's easy to give the guy one guy 20 touches, but I think it's harder to give two guys 12 each. Is that something I'm just pulling out of my rear or, or does that play a factor here? I mean, I think, I, I think, uh, I think Jalen white could just be the guy. Like I don't, um, I, I don't necessarily think that he can't like just carry the, the load at running back. I think they just like to, to keep those guys fresh and rotate them. Um, but this was this end, the lack of running, and the, the lack of attempts was a was an Achilles heel for them last year in a number of games. Um, I remember when they played Marshall, I think J- it was either Jalen White or Gerald Green had a hundred yards rushing like in the first quarter. And then they and then I think he had like four carries the rest of the game. So like when it's working, it feels like the natural thing to do is just keep going with it. And they sort of just want to force the issue a little bit and be like, we're throwing the football and that's what we're gonna do. So, you know, who knows? Um, I, I do hope that they get a little more balanced um, just to keep teams off balance, especially when you have guys who are really efficient running the football. I feel like there's not really a reason why you wouldn't do that. But anyway, uh, you know, like I said, Georgia Southern moves to 2-0. and uh, UAB drops to 1-1. and Like I said, a really weird team, UAB. Um, just pretty inconsistent overall. Um, so getting into this next one here, Matt, we'll kick it to you over for this one. Old Dominion overcomes Louisiana at home 38, 31. 
you're burying your head in your hands out of shame, I assume. Um, but can you tell tell me a little bit about sort of what happened here? I mean, I feel like I'm Paul Rudd in Avengers Endgame. Like, I'm just looking at someone in the street being like, what happened? So can you kind of take me through it? Let me preface this by saying I have the utmost respect for the Louisiana coaching staff. I do. I really do. But let me let me paint you a picture. Okay. Your starting running back is hurt. He's out. He is not available for you. However, you still have two or three serviceable running backs. For the game, you averaged 4.3 yards per carry on Old Dominion's defense. You get the ball, I think there was four minutes left, at your own seven-yard line. You drive 90 yards down the field. You get to the other team's seven-yard line. About a minute left, first and goal. Would you throw four straight pass plays? No. No, no, no you probably wouldn't, would you? Yeah, okay. Thought so. Um, look, I'm not going to say that, that final drive is what cost Louisiana the game um, because there were several instances where the, the defense just looked completely unprepared and not ready for the play, and Old Dominion burned them on it. Um. Now, Louisiana did do some things very well. Uh, ben Woldridge threw for nearly 300 yards. Like I mentioned, you averaged 4.3 yards on the ground. You spread the ball out to multiple young receivers. Um, Jordan Lawson, your sophomore defensive end, who missed all of last season with an injury, now sits at third in the country with three and a half sacks in two games. Um, so, look, there's positives to take away f- from here. And give credit to Old Dominion. I think they're a better team than people probably expected them to be. Um, Grant Wilson might be the savior of that program. Uh, he was he was very impressive, um, but but it, I, I just can't help but feel like this is going to be the game that the Cajuns look back on in December and say we shouldn't have let that one get away. So Matt. I have a question for you. Um, What is your concern level? And I know you said that Grant Wilson might be the, the savior for old dominion. What is your kind of concern level with you guys as pass defense after, you know, Grant Wilson throws for two forty-seven and four touchdowns. Give me like maybe on a scale of, if you want to give me like DEFCON, like you're the president or you want to give me like a scale of one to 10, give me your like sort of concern level. DEFCON 3. You're not breaking out the nuclear football yet, but Lord, it doesn't look good. Um, And, and people invested in, in the Cajuns football program knew that that would probably be an area where they struggled uh, because Braylon Traha is in the NFL. Eric Gares in the NFL. Uh, Trey Amos is now playing for Alabama and Cam Podesclo is now playing for Tulane. That's four starters from last year that you don't have anymore. Um, and so you, you basically had to rebuild that DB room. Now you brought in some talented guys, but talent and game experience, as you guys know, are two different things. 
Um, so I think they'll get better. But two games in, if you had to ask me, where I'm very concerned with, with the way that they've played. Yeah, uh, you know, I I know we didn't project Old Dominion to be all that good, but I also didn't know that Grant Wilson was going to be this much of an upgrade over Hayden Wolf, who was outside of throwing to Ollie Jennings last year was pretty bad, um, which we saw when Ollie Jennings went out with that foot foot ankle whatever it was injury late in the year, and that that whole team offense just collapsed and couldn't and Hayden Wolf couldn't do very much so. Like you said, maybe Grant Wilson's just the savior of the entire program at this stage. Which is very and, possible. And, and they might just be better than we projected because, again, we just didn't know what we were getting from Grant Wilson before the season started. But with that, Old Dominion moves to one and one. Louisiana drops to one and one. Uh, getting into this next one here, Jacksonville State traveled to Conway to take on Coastal Carolina. Coastal beat them 30 to 16 to pick up their first win of the year. Um, you know, Jacksonville state is a, is a recent promotion up from the FCS level. So they're, <clears throat> they're no James Madison. Let's say that they're still trying to sort of get their feet underneath them. And this is typically what happens to FCS programs that move up. Typically, you know, the teams that, that it, move up a level are not just walking into a potential conference championship appearance. They're more sort of trying to tread water until they can get, you know, sort of everything in order. Grayson McCall looked good in this one, 21 of 29, 268 and a touchdown. Zeke, I want to ask you, um, when it comes to this one, what was your big takeaway from this game? Because like we said, Jacksonville State is a recent FCS move up, but I had some real concerns about Coastal's offense and Tim Beck coming into the year, and it seemed like they were sort of clicking on all cylinders offensively in this one. So what did you sort of take away from this? I I felt the same way after the game against UCLA for Coastal because that was a game that you thought that they were going to still probably lose, but you thought that they were really going to be in that game and it ended up kind of slipping away from them relatively quickly. Um, So I think, first of all, just the sheer number of points, 30 is a really good number to put up against a Jacksonville State. You can't complain about that, right? You didn't leave many points on the board when you look at just that number. Grayson McCall, man, I I just – he is so astoundingly efficient when given the right opportunity to be so. And and I think now that – I'm worried as someone who, who supports a team in the East that Tim Beck has figured out how to efficiently use Grayson McCall. He didn't throw an incomplete pass the entirety of the first quarter. He missed three, he missed eight passes all, all game. And he threw the ball 30 times. I, there was a little regression in week one against a pretty good opponent in, in the first day of the regime. But I think I may, and a lot of people may have overreacted to the transition out of Jamie Chadwell because I think he, I mean, he was the engineer of that offense and and myself included. A lot of people were scared that without him, it was all going to crumble. But Grayson McCall is legitimate. 
Uh, I mean, Reese White didn't have himself a great game, but he's been a very good running back for them in the past. They have two or three legitimate receivers. Jared Brown and Sam Pinckney, I think, uh, have a chance to probably be the one and two best receivers in the conference this year, and they're on the same team. So Beck has figured that out, combined that in with maybe the three best offensive players in the conference, and, and this is a team that's going to, when we get to the conference play against other Sunbelt teams, this is a team that could score 35, 37, 40 a game and, and won't even have to think twice about it. Yeah, I mean, I I said this when we were previewing Coastal. My my concern with Tim Beck is goes beyond this season because I think that the weapons and Grayson McCall are enough to keep them sort of above board this year. But my concern rolls into 2024 or whenever it is that Grayson McCall moves on when you're looking at bringing in a new quarterback that isn't automatically the best quarterback in the conference and sort of what happens at that point. But yeah, they've got their feet underneath them. Matt, I, I want to ask you one thing. So a lot of a lot of the old offense was predicated on running the football, right? Like they ran this this modified spread option sort of attack and didn't ask McCall to do as much. Outside of the one carry by Jared Brown that went 77 yards for a score, nobody on this team really ran the ball all that efficiently. So I, I understand that Grace McCall is the best quarterback in the conference. However, when you play the better defenses, the Troys, the South Alabamas, or, or whoever they end up facing throughout the year, do you have any concern that like not being able to run the ball efficiently is going to be end up being their Achilles heel, especially on offense? Well, that's going to be the million-dollar question. Um, so far, like you mentioned, it hasn't been an issue. Uh, but look at who they've played in two games, right? Um, you played against the UCLA team that nobody really expected you to beat. And then you kind of had your way with Jacksonville State, although the score looks closer than it, than the game probably indicated. Um, but yeah, I mean, once you get into conference and you start playing those teams, the, the Troys and the, and the South Alabamas of the world, Coastal Carolina is going to have to figure that out. You know, are they good enough in terms of a running game to compete? Because if you're one-dimensional against a team like that, you're not going to be able to win. Uh, you're, you're just not going to be successful that way. So can Coastal and, and Tim Beck's offense kind of figure out a way to boost up that running game, whether it's through Grayson McCall or whether they – find a, a running back somewhere in in their locker room that can step up and be the guy for them. Um, but they're going to have to answer that quickly because conference play is coming faster than they probably want it to. Yeah, agreed. Um, so with that one, Coastal improves to 1-1 one and one on the season. Jacksonville State drops their first game and moves to 2-1. and one. Um, I want to throw it to Zeke for this one. Uh, it is his team, the team that he covers, Georgia State, Handily defeats UConn uh, 35-14. Uh, you know, not really close after about the about the second quarter in this one. So, honestly, Zeke, you probably could have taken a nap and just woken up at the end and, and sort of wrote up the, uh, the recap. But Darren Granger had 142 yards rushing and a score. So kind of take me through this one. It, it seemed like 
kind of a pure domination at that point. So Darren Granger, first off, you mentioned the passing yards. He also ran for, I think, just shy of 150. Uh, I've seen different numbers, different places because of how you record a sack. Is it a rushing yard or whatever? But on top of his 120-some-odd passing yards, 150 on the ground. The the guy is electric and, and good for 300 total yards any point throughout the week. Um, very, very quickly, and I'm going to let you get right back to it. I think the fact that they diminish your rushing yards from a sack is stupid. That might be the worst rule in all of sports. I have literally watched a quarterback run for like 85 yards, but because his offensive line is trash and he got sacked like six times, he finished with like 20. That's crap. I can't disagree with you there. Um, And for teams like Georgia State where they've got the mobile guy, I know I had written in my story, my recap of this game, is Darren Granger records a career-high rushing yards because he gained a career-high rushing yards. But you take away that sack yardage, and it technically isn't. I'm with you. It's stupid. Uh, But back to the game specifically, it, it was a bit of a cakewalk, but they started to let out the gas. I mean, in the fourth quarter, we're starting to pull out the subs. And as soon as that happens, UConn puts up two touchdowns in, in the span of maybe six, seven minutes, which doesn't bode well. The thing about this football team, right, when we can talk about this game, they beat UConn. You expect them to beat UConn. The spread was horrifyingly low. Um, the thing about this football team is that they cannot get off the football field. Uh, we're going to play a quick game here of higher or lower Higher or lower, 55%, fellas, uh, on Georgia State's opponent third-down conversions. Are opponents converting more or less than 55%? More. More? How about 60? See, I'm right! I love being right! How about 60? Six six times out of 10, this team is letting their guys convert. Brian, go ahead. I realize I played this game of higher or lower quite poorly. No, no. My question was: Does this does this number take into account the UConn game? This is both games between oh. it and Rhode Island, sixty percent. And in Rhode Island, I think, or uh, against Rhode Island, it was something like fourteen of twenty some odd. And against UConn, it was even worse uh, at a total of, if I recall, it's like 10, uh, 10 of twenty, maybe or ten of a uh, sixteen, rather something ridiculously, ridiculously poor. And so Darren Granger can rush for a bazillion yards if he wants. And, and Marcus Carroll, who's having himself an incredible year uh, after sitting behind Tucker Gregg, he can also run for a bazillion yards all you want. But this football team cannot get off the football field. And I, I've recognized that this has turned away from, from a game recap into, into my sidebar about this team. Uh, but it is absolutely infuriating to watch this team score 35 points, but it's still in question because you're not certain you can get a stop. They're really good. They do a really good job at bringing teams to third down, but once they're there, the whole defense falls in shambles. It was a good win. Congratulations, you beat UConn. You can really pat yourself on the back for that one. Uh, but this this is going to be a football team that's going to be losing games forty two to fifty six because their offense is so dynamic. Uh, but they just cannot get a freaking stop. It'll be fun. It'll be exciting, but it will be ugly. And, and thank you all for listening. Um, to, to Zeke's TED Talk about Georgia State's defense. All right. So 
with that said, Georgia State absolutely dominates UConn by 21 points uh, and moves to 2-0 this season. UConn drops to 0-2. Uh, we can sort of blow through this one because, at least from a Sunbelt perspective, the only thing that I've gathered from Memphis and Arkansas State is that I can safely bet on Arkansas State on the other side of the spread of Arkansas State from here on out and be right nine times out of ten. Um, so as long as Vegas is offering me a line to bet against Arkansas State, I will gladly take that because they have absolutely been atrocious through two games. They have allowed over 100 points total in their first two games. And, you know, we joked about how bad Butch Jones is uh, last week, Zeke, but Matt, I made the joke on the, on the podcast that uh, due to Butch Jones's coaching malpractice, they may have to change the name of the town from Jonesboro to something else just to get sort of the stink off of it. Um, just because this team has just been so bad under under Butch Jones. It's Welcome not to better. Andersonville, Arkansas. There it is. Uh, man, so Memphis just absolutely pounds Arkansas State. JT Shrout. I can't even tell you if I if I thought he was a good quarterback. This team is just such a mess that it's so hard to even gather anything meaningful from this this game as a whole. Um, Here is Blake. We want Blake. We want Blake. Oh <laughs> uh, man, I I mean, I, I'll say this: they need to be careful that they get rid of Butch Jones in short order, or else this is going to end up like another Texas State situation where the head coach does irreparable type of damage. And then the next guy has to come in and sort of sweep up the pieces and be like, I don't have a lot to play with here. Like, I'm just going to have to figure it out as I sort of go. Yeah. We talked about this last week, Brian, I want to ask you, Matt, how long do you think Butch Jones has? Because I mean, we all saw the clip of him being consoled by a player. And I told Brian that reminded me uh, of Herm Edwards being met by his athletic director in the end zone. Yeah. So how much longer does Butch Jones have before they really just realize, like, this was a, a horrid mistake? Whether I think this is the right decision or not, um, I, I think if they finish sub-500 this year, I, I think I think they move on from Butch Jones. Um, you think he makes it through the season, though? I think so, strictly because... What what are you gonna do before January? You're not gonna be able to do anything anyway, so you, you might as well let them finish out the season. Um, there, there there's no reason to, to to fire him early and try to you know, implement an interim, and that that's just a headache that you don't really have to deal with. Um, so look, I I think you I think you let him run out the year, see what happens. Because who knows? Maybe he strikes gold, and you know they they go five and seven. And because uh, because I'm gonna be honest with you, five and seven might be enough for him to keep it to have another year. Um, but I, th- this experiment just hasn't worked. Um, I I think Butch Jones takes his firing like an absolute man, and calls Nick Saban and says, "Hey, Bud, uh, you want to make another analyst position for me?" I'll I'll work for little to nothing. I just want a national championship ring. Um, 
Hell, Nick Saban might not be at Alabama next year, uh, but that's a that's a conversation for an, another date and time. But um, yeah, look, I, I think South Alabama, I'm not South Alabama, Arkansas State will look at this as an opportunity for them to just start over again. Um, look, you know, sometimes these new experiments don't work, and you just kind of have to go back to the drawing board. And I think that's exactly what Arkansas State needs to do: go get a young assistant you know, that, that could show some promise as a head coach and give him an opportunity. Uh, could probably pay him less than what you're paying Butch Jones. Um, so I, I think this is a prime time for, for Arkansas State to just kind of wash their hands clean and move on. So I I was looking at their future schedule, and again, there's not a lot to talk about this game just because of how thoroughly dominated they were, but I was looking at who they play moving forward. So this week they get Stony Brook, I mean, in theory, you should win that game. In theory. In theory. Uh, so I think, and then the week after they play Southern Miss at home, they're not going to win that game. So I think the real test for him is going to come at the end of the month, they have to travel to Amherst to play UMass, who is considerably <laughs> one of the worst teams consistently at the FBS level football-wise. If you lose to UMass, he's done. That that's exactly what I he's was going to say. I think I think that's going to be the litmus test about whether he can stick around or not. If he loses to UMass and they're one and four, and then you're looking sort of down the barrel of Troy and Coastal for your next two games after that UMass yeah. loss, in theory, like it's going to be really tough for the AD to sort of look the fans in the eyes and be like, "No, he's going to turn it around. Don't worry about it," because. Right. If you're what, well, I mean, think about it. If you're, if okay, you beat Stony Brook, you lose to Southern Miss. In theory, if you lose to UMass, and then you lose what we expect against Troy and Coastal, you're one in six at that point. So then you pretty much, you know, from what you guys said about five and seven, you pretty much have to win out from that point on. Correct. And I just, I don't see it when you have to play South Alabama, Marshall. We like what Texas State has done that's the end of their season. So I just don't see them sort of starting so poorly and having a couple bad years under Butch Jones and then just all of a sudden turning it around. So I think that's just sort of where I stand on it. Um, so Arkansas State understandably drops to 0-2 with the blowout loss. Memphis has moved to 2-0. and Last game of the night, uh, we can get through this one pretty quickly. UL Monroe defeats Lamar 24-14. Um, I don't know. They ULM won. <laughs> like, hey, what are you gonna say y'all about? See, it? Did y'all? I know I can't be the only one that saw the locker room video of Terry Bowden dancing. Oh God, I'm the only one. Was this like a Ted Lasso kind of thing, oh or what my was going God. on? Okay, so there was a post game. Have you ever seen the Saints have their post-game celebrations in the locker room? Yeah. Very similar to that, but in Monroe. Um, Man, Terry Bowden was dancing. Players are going crazy. Like, life is grand. We're 2-0. and Like, y- you would swear. I-, I-, I hate to say this because I'm supposed to be professional. But you-, you-, you would swear that Monroe won the Super Bowl. Um, and the world's going to, they're going to finish like four and eight. 
Like, you know this whole project's just going to come crashing down. Well, that was that was going to be my question was, uh, when you said that, I was like, after this game? Where you played Lamar? Yeah. That was the time to dance in the locker room? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They beat an FCS team by 10, baby. It's a party. <laughs> Terry Bowden's a strange bird for that. I don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> That's uh. Especially when you score 21 points in the first half and then you just sort of mail it in the rest of the way. Correct, though. That's not, that's a 21 to nothing deficit isn't the time to take the foot off the gas and just be like, we're going to ride it. Like, we're, we're just going to put it a backup center or whatever. So, yeah. Um, good for the Warhawks for picking up the win. Again, you won the game. Congrats. I mean, it wasn't overly impressive. Nobody really you know, stood out all that much. I mean, Woolard, the running back, had, you know, 113 yards. Cool. Like, again, you played Lamar. Like, there's not a lot to to be gathered from this. You were supposed to beat Lamar. So, yeah, other than that, um, again, good for ULM. Moved to 2-0. Lamar drops to 0-2. Let's jump into this week. We have picks we need to make. Um, <laughs> any sort of any sort of additional context uh, that we want to add. Let's start off with noon Eastern on Big Ten Network. My Georgia Southern Eagles are traveling to Camp Randall to take on Wisconsin. Wisconsin coming fresh off of a beating uh, to them by Washington State, which I kind of wish that hadn't happened. Because then we might have caught Wisconsin, but now they're going to be really like tuned in for this game. So we'll see how that all plays out. Wisconsin is a 19 point favorite at home, over under 64 and a half. I'm going to take the under. I don't think, I, I think Wisconsin's defense holds Georgia Southern to like 24 points. And I don't think Wisconsin's going to be lighting the world on fire offensively. So I'm going to take the under. 19 points is a lot for a team that just lost uh, to Washington State. So, Zeke, give me sort of your overall thought on that. Uh, I just I think Wisconsin's going to win this game. Uh, I don't feel too shaky about that, but I think it's tough to beat Georgia Southern by 19 points. Right? It, it's not it, it's not a Herculean task to beat them, but to outscore that team by 19 is pretty freaking difficult. Uh, so uh, I'll take – I like Southern plus 19 here. Matt, you want to you, – you backing Zeke's pick? I agree with that completely. Um, I think Wisconsin wins the game. Um, I'm not really going to get into the over-under because anytime I try to, I, I end up being horribly wrong. Uh, realistically, I would take the under in this game, but then watch it be like a 45-42 just barn burner. Um, but no – 19 is a lot. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to take Georgia Southern in the points, uh, but I think Wisconsin wins the game. All right. Sorry. I just uh, I started watching the video of Terry Bowden dancing in the locker yeah. room, and honestly, he looks like the Six Flags man. Like, he looks like the bald Six Flags man with the big, giant, black-rimmed glasses. And he's, like, moving in ways that 
seem unnatural to the human eye. So that's <laughs> that's something, <laughs> at least. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I didn't know humans moved that way. That's all right. Which coach in the Sun Belt has the best dance moves? Can I say none? You don't think any of them? <laughs> no, I don't. Um, I mean, GJ Kenny's got some skill. If you had asked me last year, I would have said probably Jamie Chadwell is probably one of those guys that's Ooh. weirdly a good dancer. I yeah, could say Chadwell. Chadwell. Look, I think I, this is a homer pick. I think if you spend so much time in Atlanta like Sean Elliott does, like you got to pick something up. God, I, I no. guess. <laughs> <laughs> Kane, Big man can move. I'm sure of it. Kane, Kane Womack gives me a, a good dancer vibe. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Hey, maybe – Maybe Butch Jones is like an amazing dancer, and that's what he spends all his time doing instead of preparing for games. It's, is is Michael Desabelle <laughs> a good dancer? You're the Louisiana guy. I mean, you can you tell me. That's fair. You tell me. <laughs> that's fair. Um, I, I've never been in a nightclub with Michael Desabelle, so I can't answer that question for you. <laughs> you know how you know how like people will say like, "Oh, this person plays basketball like a football player in gym class." That's how mm-hmm. I imagine Sean Elliott dancing oh. like a football player. In, like you know, if you took a football player who just played offensive line to like the dance, and it was just he's doing the robot, and he's doing the robot again, and he's doing it again, <laughs> and, and that's all he knows. And now he's gonna throw in the worm. <laughs> yeah, no. the Atlanta boys got him right. I'm sure of it. Oh my it's god. The, it's the it's the scene from Knocked Up when he's like he keeps blowing on the dice. That's all he's got. He just keeps throwing the dice. <laughs> all right, so let's get into this next game here. Uh, another noon kick Eastern Time on ESPN two. Wake Forest. Man, I I tell you what, Matt, and and I guess Zeke by extension can get in on this. I feel like our schools are really getting gypped on these home and homes with Power Five schools like. App gets App gets like North Carolina and Miami to come there. Like Wake Forest is traveling to Old Dominion for this game. Like what? Who do you have to Who do you have to buy off to get a home and home with a Power Five school? East Carolina's. I mean, App's bringing in East Carolina. Uh, Southern Miss is bringing in Tulane. Oh, and you want to hear? This isn't Sunbelt related, but you want to hear the craziest one of the weekend? What you got? How about Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide? Going to South Florida. Yeah, you heard me right. Going to Raymond James Stadium to play the Bulls of South Florida. Jalen Milrow Milrow at halftime of that game is going to be operating the cannon on the big pirate ship. (laughs) (laughs) Who blindfolded Nick Saban, put a pin pin in his hand and said, hey, bud, sign this. Just sign your name right here. Look, I'm going to guide your hand just right there. Like, who forced no, I mean, him into this? It's the AD's fault, right? They're the oh, ones that I mean, Yeah, but, like, I feel like in a school like Alabama, Nick Saban's got some say. You know. I mean, maybe not, but, like, if I'm Nick Saban, I'm looking, why the hell would I go play South Florida at South Florida? Florida State's got at Boston College. That is equally as ugly. Well, that's, yeah, a, that's conference a conference game. game. Oh, shoot. You're right. Scratch that. So that, yeah, oh my God, like, we're I mean, conference football this week, boys. It's great, but that's a conference game. 
But like, ha- again, how did Old Dominion get Wake Forest on the schedule to come up well, to Virginia? I will give I will give Old Dominion this: their stadium is incredible. No, I I don't doubt that. I just mean like, what's the sell? Like, why would Wake allow themselves to be sold on this? I guess is more my question. Wake anyway. Wake probably did it when they sucked. I mean, yeah, you know, but but still, that seems like a losing proposition for any Power Five school. Anyway, 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 Wake Forest is a 13 and a half point favorite in this game. Over under is 61. I'm going to take Wake minus 13 and a half. I think Old Dominion kind of comes back down to earth a little bit. Um, and I think that the, the level of competition is, is lopsided enough to where Wake should be able to beat them, I think, pretty comfortably. So I'm going to take Wake. 13 and a half. I agree with you. Uh, I'm with you there. I We saw what Virginia Tech did to Old Dominion, and it's going to be the same thing. Brent Pry, baby. Trivia, trivia question for you. Where did Virginia Tech head coach Brent Pry cut his teeth? Cut his, like, get his first job? Yeah. Was it Georgia Southern? No. I knew he coached there. I just I he did at one point. Him. Yes, he was uh, he was the defensive coordinator for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Could have deduced that one. I should have known that the answer to most trivia questions is going to be Louisiana from here on out. <laughs> so that makes sense. <laughs> so are we all in on? We're all in on weight thirteen yeah. and a half, right? Okay. Sure. All right. This is another. This is almost like a layup that's too easy to the point where I I feel bad about it. But App State is is facing East Carolina, who just got their doors blown off by Marshall at home. App is a nine and a half point favorite. I, I'm taking App. I just East Carolina didn't show me much, um, and I think App is a better team as it sits today than Marshall is. So if Marshall can put up 31 on them, I like I like App in this one. Uh, Matt, you want to you want to go first? Sorry, I was muted. Um, yeah, I'm gonna take App. Uh, they're at home minus nine and a half. I don't know that I like that a whole lot unless Nate Noel just runs buckshot on East Carolina's defense. Um, which Rasheen Ali did th- this past weekend. So who knows? Maybe maybe Nate Noel can do it too. Um, but the over under. I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb here and I'm gonna say over. Uh but I pick app to win. I'm hammering that nine and a half point spread. App state at minus nine and a half. Uh, East Carolina has scored sixteen points all year. Uh there's there's no reason to believe that they're gonna be able to put up the twenty, twenty some odd points requisite to cover that spread. I mean, we just saw uh, against UNC, who who's a very very good football team, App State was able to put up thirty plus. Uh, you know, I think maybe maybe six of those came in overtime, but still, I mean, I just East Carolina doesn't have the offense to keep pace with App State, much like we saw uh, we just talked about with the Georgia Southern game. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. So next one, four o'clock Eastern Time, SEC Network. UL Monroe gets the unfortunate. Um, task of facing Texas A&M coming off of a big loss to Miami 
Um, Texas A&M is a 36 and a half point favorite over under 53 and a half. Um, I, I'm going to take Texas A&M minus 36 and a half. It's a lot of points, but I think, uh, Terry Bowden is going to, is going to have, someone's going to have to like marionette him after this game if he wants to dance, because it's, it's going to be, it, it, I think this one's going to be ugly. Um, I just feel like the over-under is not that high. Actually, you know what? I'll switch my pick. Uh, I'll go over 53 and a half. I think, I think these two teams combine for over 53 and a half. I, I, I don't get the vibe from UL Monroe, after, especially after the way that they played last week, that they're going to be able to keep it, you know, super close with A&M. So, yes, but at the same time, no. Because A&M sucks. They're awful. They're horrible. Jimbo Fisher is about to get the Ed Ogeron treatment. And what I mean by that is they're going to pull him into an office and say, hey, Jimbo, really appreciate the little bit that you've done here. Um, here's a check for $50 million, And Jimbo Fisher's going to say, what time do you want me to leave? And what door would you like me to walk out of? They're horrible. Hiring Bobby Petrino might have been a bigger mistake than hiring Jimbo Fisher in the first place for Texas A&M. Um, now, does Texas A&M beat the doors off of ULM? Yes. But does ULM keep it within the 36 and a half? I'm going to go out on a limb and say, yeah, they do. I I agree with everything Matt just said. A&M is not, not it. Jimbo is not it. Uh, and as big as 36 and a half is, I, I hate, I hate to pick the favorite when it's 36 and a half, but that's a ridiculous amount of points for a team that doesn't usually beat the doors off teams by that much. They, they won against New Mexico earlier this year, but all of last season, I don't think AM beat a team by 36. It, I just don't think they have it. I just want to drop in that the last time Zeke dropped a stat like that in, I picked Arkansas State to keep it close with Oklahoma, and they lost 73-0. to zero. So um, I have like PTSD, like I'm staring into, into the, the, I'm staring into the wall and like fortunate sun is starting to play. And I've got like Vietnam flashbacks, like happening, like Oof. being like, I can't, I can't go with the Sunbelt team. <laughs> like it, it's burned me so bad, especially not a, not a great one either. So, um, well, that's why I picked the over. Cause I don't have to worry about the spread. I, I they just have to score over 54 points total. That's all I'm asking. So, that's that's where it that's where it stands with me. Um, getting into this next one here, another four o'clock Eastern Time kick. ESPNU Southern Miss is welcoming in Tulane. Um, Tulane is a thirteen point favorite over under forty nine and a half. I think I'm taking Tulane in the thirteen. Yeah. Um, I, I there was nothing to like from Southern Miss playing Florida State, and I think that the talent gap even between Southern Miss. And South Alabama is pretty large. And then you add in the fact that Tulane beats South Alabama by 20 points. I I like Tulane here. And and let's be let's be very, very real about something. If Michael Pratt would have played for Tulane on Saturday, I firmly believe they beat Ole Miss at home. Um because they should have beaten Ole Miss with their backup. 
Uh, so, yeah, give me Tulane. Give me the points. Um, look, I, I think Southern Miss figures it out at some point in this season, uh, but but it's not going to be this Saturday. I don't know. I like I like Southern Miss to cover here just because, look, you're right. Tulane looked really good against Ole Miss. Despite, despite the loss, I thought Tulane played really well against Ole Miss, but Southern – uh, Southern Miss, I just, I, I don't know. I, I know I've been very, very low on them in the past, but I just, at home, 13 just feels a touch too high. If the line is 10, I think I take Tulane, but at home, uh, especially coming off that that beating that they took, I think they come in with, you know, a little more fire in the belly. I, I Maybe this is misguided, but I like Southern Miss to cover. Tulane to win, but Southern Miss to cover. Okay. Um, six o'clock, uh, in Charlotte, uh, Zeke's Georgia state Panthers are going to take on the 49ers of Charlotte. Georgia state is a seven and a half point favorite over under 54. Zeke, you, your team mouse trapped me last season when I picked them against Charlotte. I definitely expected them to win. And then they lost by, I think a point. Um, you guys have looked good so far. However, the, the defense is a little concerning. Um, I, I'm going to take Georgia State. It is the most it is the most tentative of ta- of taking a team with with a spread because you guys I feel like can just give up 14 points at a moment's notice. But I'm going to take Georgia State. Uh, I think they're may these are going to be famous last words. I think maybe they figured it out with with a little bit. And, and keeping a little bit of consistency. Not a lot, just a tad from game to game. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if that happens. Uh, Matt, you want to give... What, what do you think about this one? That's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Is it, you know that movie, what that quote from? If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Zeke? I realized I was muted. I'm sorry. Yes, I promise I wasn't looking it up. I do know that was dodgeball. Okay. The five Ds of dodgeball. Dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. Again. Great movie. Anyways. um, Yeah, look. To say the words, I think Georgia Georgia State has figured it out in the same sentence was not on my bingo card Um, for the 2023 college football (laughs) season. Um. But look, I think Georgia State can beat Charlotte. What did you say the, the spread was? Six and a half? Seven and a half. Seven, Seven and, and a half. half. Uh, I'm not going to take that. Um, I'll, I'll take Charlotte plus seven and a half, but Georgia State to win. Zeke, thoughts? <sighs> this is tough. I, I think Georgia State wins it, um, and I think they do cover because – Again, as hard as it is to say, as how no matter how harsh it lands on the ears, I think after two weeks you can expect them to have figured it out defensively, or at least figured out a way to consistently keep yourself in the game. And Matt, I understand you don't like this take, and I'm not saying that this is going to become a Troy-level defense, but after two weeks you've played UConn, you've played Rhode Island, you can have an idea of what it requires to stay in the game. Say what you want about the point spread. 
hammer the over. It's only 54. This these teams last week com, or last year rather combined for 85 if my numbers are right. It was over 80. So so 54 is obscenely low because you know Georgia State's going to score 30 at least and you you can feel confident Charlotte's going to put up 24 of their own at the minimum. Uh, I, I think I take Georgia State, but I'm really, really confident about the over here. I actually think I'm going to switch mine to the over as well. The more that I've thought about it, I was really eyeballing it when, when I first pulled it up, and then I was like, no, they're probably going to beat I, – I can't, I can't pick – All right. Uh, I can't pick Georgia State with a spread after what they did against Charlotte last I year. I have – I have burned. FOMO. I'm not going to be the odd guy out. Switch mine to the over two. Okay. Okay. Can I jump in real quick for a quick, quick Georgia State fun fact? 2-0. and Last time this team was 2-0 and was the year they beat Tennessee in 2019. They beat Charlotte, given it's a young program. They beat Charlotte. First time in program history they'll be 3-0. and Well, it's probably also the first time in that you guys haven't scheduled a murderer's row in your first four games, too. Like you've well, true. scheduled some very winnable games early in the season, and, and a program you know, first is a program first. That's true. Um, all right, next one, seven <laughs> o'clock Eastern time. Louisiana is traveling to Birmingham to take on the UAB Bla- Raging Blazers or whatever, uh, <laughs> whatever it is. UAB is a two and a half point favorite. Uh, over under is fifty nine and a half. I honestly absolutely hate picking this game because I don't believe in, I don't believe, I don't believe in either one of these teams to be totally honest. So it's it's really just like a more of a coin flip because the spread is so small with UAB at home that honestly like when a team is at home typically it's like you give them 3 points just out of correct courtesy. And the fact that it's two and a half means that this is basically a pick 'em uh-huh. either way. Uh-huh. Like if it was played at a neutral site, yeah. I think I'm gonna take UAB, but oh, I don't feel great about it. Betrayal. I don't feel great about Benedict it. Arnold. Um, no. What, what, what's that Family Guy quote when Peter and Lois are out playing golf and his ball goes into the water? It's fun. We're having fun. This game's gonna be fun, guys. Um, you, you've got two teams that are, you know, trying to figure themselves out. Um, they're very similar in the way that they play. The one difference is one team has a Super Bowl winning quarterback as their head coach and one does not. Um, but what's that famous saying? Those that can't play teach. So if, yes. Trent, if you view Trent Dilfer as a good quarterback, maybe he's not a good head coach. I don't know. Um, but look, you know, I I think that this is a game where my X factor in this game is going to be whether or not Draylon Washington is healthy. If Draylon Washington is healthy, who had 88 carries, 88, 88 carries, 88 yards on eight carries, uh, in in the season opener, if he's healthy, I think he's a difference maker for the Cajuns and I'm going to pick the Cajuns to win. Um, if he misses a second straight game. Give me UAB. I like that. Yeah, uh, it, it comes down to the injury there, and at, and at home in a game that you expect to be tight, you you're, you have to give some acknowledgement to the home team. So we talk about hesitant when we were talking about the Georgia State line. I'm also hesitant here 
Uh, I'll take UAB, but only because they're the home team here. Uh, the next game, the next two games actually have no line because it, at least as it sits today, it's FCS versus FBS. Uh, Coastal Carolina is going to take on Duquesne, uh, at home and presumably pick up their second win of the season. Not a lot to talk about. Look, uh, and then Arkansas State's going to face Stony Brook and fingers crossed they're going to win a game this season. So funny fact about Duquesne, um, I forgot who it was oh i have a buddy that's the play-by-play guy for ohio in the mac and they had a late cancellation so they picked up a schedule they picked up duquesne on their schedule and that was the day that i realized that duquesne had a football program i thought they were a basketball school there's a lot of fcs program i mean like do you know villanova has a football program technically yeah and they're not very good no but they're a basketball school so i mean you know, is what it is. Uh, yeah, so like I said, those two games should be open and shut cases. Keep keep maybe an eye on the ticker and see how Arkansas State's doing. Like, they may really be at the bottom of the barrel. We, we'll have to see how that, that all sort of plays out. Uh, but the game of the night, 7 o'clock Eastern NFL Network, James Madison's traveling to Troy to take on the Trojans. We get our first taste of in-conference play. Troy is a three-point favorite over under 47 and a half. I'm going to be totally honest. I think Troy wins the game, but I'm going to take the under of 47 and a half. When Troy was in these sorts of games last year, it was a real rock fight. They were winning games like 10 to 6. So I'm going to take the under. I don't think either of these teams light the world on fire offensively. I think they really both struggle to hit 20 points in this one. So I'm going to take, take the under. Am I going or you, Zeke? You can have it because I'm still thinking. I'm actually going to pick James Madison here. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, look, Troy's at home, and obviously through the first two games, Kamani Vidal already has 330 yards on the ground. I mean, he's been an absolute nightmare uh, for for their opponents so far. Um, But look, James Madison showed against Virginia that they've got a really good defense and that they can compete with – anybody in this conference. And so, and I, I think the biggest thing for me with Troy is I still don't trust Gunnar Watson. I still just don't believe that he is that guy uh, that John Summerall believes him to be. Um, so look, it's a close game. It's going to come down to the very end, uh, but I'm, I'm going to take James Madison in a close one. And over under, let's see, 47 and a half. Give me the over. This is, I mean, I've had this all this time, both of y'all talking about it and even in preparing for this episode, thinking about what this matchup is going to be. And I'm not going to know who I say until the words come out of my mouth. So I'm just stalling in this moment. But I, it's going to come down to, does Troy regress to the mean defensively? Uh, they've had two kind of mediocre defensive performances. And, and James Madison, on the other hand, offensively has been lighting the world on fire dropping 36 and 38 in their first two games. So if Troy doesn't regress back to that mean, as Matt just said, I don't trust the offense to outscore James Madison, who, again, probably going to score 32-plus. I don't trust the offense to do that against James Madison. If you can contain James Madison and get into what you call a rock fight, I thought was a great 
way to put it, just these bloodbaths where where the final score is 13 to 7, 13 to 6. Troy wins that easy. But and again, I'm not certain what I'm gonna say until I say it, but at home, give me Troy because I think they do figure it out and beat James Madison. All right, and then this is going to be an easy wrap-up. The last game of the night is 8.30 Eastern. Texas State is going to take on Jackson State, uh, being coached presumably by, I don't know, the ghost of Deion Sanders. I don't know who coaches that team anymore. Uh, So let's wrap it up here. We've been going pretty long. Um, I want to throw it to Zeke and then Matt. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media, and then we'll sort of close this one out. Yeah, before before we do, I, I know we're running long, hitting an hour and a half plus. I do think we skipped over a game there, Brian. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, we've got Oklahoma State, South Alabama. That's right. Which, yeah. again, might not be worth spending, you know, 10 minutes talking about. Yeah, you're right. But All right. We, yeah. Speed, we, speed we did round. Skip over it. Speed round, what you got? Um, Oklahoma State, big. Oklahoma I State also take middle. Oklahoma State big. It's seven and a half. You taking seven and a half? Yes. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Sweet. Well Oklahoma done, fellas. State, seven and a half. Awesome. Um, so Zeke, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, I'm on Twitter uh, at Zeke Palermo. Z e k e p a l e r m o. My shameless plug is I've been keeping the fantasy football stats for the Sun Belt. Not that you can play that anywhere, but I think it's a really fun way to get a quick snapshot of who each week's best performers were. And uh, if you follow have followed me previously, um, you would have seen my tirade after the Bills loss as we record this on Tuesday evening. Um, and I'm pr- probably by the time this time next week, I'll still be tweeting about that loss. Uh, Matt, where can they find you? I can vouch for Zeke Palermo. He's an incredible follow on, on Twitter, or, or as the cool kids call it, X. Um, so... You can uh, you can definitely go follow him there, but you can find me at Miguez Matt um, on just about any social media. I talk a lot about the Cajuns and a lot about the Saints, and I also shamelessly plug every article that I write. Um, so if you want some good reads, check it out. As as you should, uh, you can always find me on Twitter at Watch the Stone. Uh, I say this at the end of every episode, but Anybody that wants to send us uh, emails, we would love to do like sort of a mailbag or, you know, questions, comments, thoughts in general. You can send that over to either our Twitter at warmweatherfans or at warmweatherfans at gmail.com. Again, feel free to send anything over. We'd love to, to interact with the people that listen to this show. This has been another episode of Warm Weather Fans, the Sunbelt Podcast.